Welcome to a little bit of Florida here in California. This is where the early planning is taking place for our so-called uh, Disney World project. Ah, welcome, weary travelers, to the great big universe of XS. You may call me Sir. And welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 555. And I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, my live video broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night, books, audio tours, special events, welcoming community, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. And whether it's your first time visiting the parks or have been hundreds of times, if you're planning a vacation or just love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you because each week I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. And if you're a new listener, welcome. I invite you to go back and check out some or all of the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can find the podcast over on iTunes, everything else over at www.radio.com and be part of the community and conversation by visiting www.radio.com community. So Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland and soon to be Walt Disney World is the realization of more than four decades of living out our individual Star Wars fantasies from playing with the toys in our basements to wearing our bathrobes as Jedi robes. I know I was not alone. We've always dreamed of being able to step into the Star Wars universe. Well, now I, we, and you can. And with so much to take in, wander through, taste, build, and enjoy in Galaxy's Edge, this week we're going to share top 10 things we, and I think you, will love about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. The land is overwhelming in the best possible way, and we're going to help you navigate what to do and where and the secrets on how to get the most out of your ultimate Star Wars experience. I'm also going to share why you don't have to be a Star Wars fan to love and appreciate the Black Spire Outpost. Plus, as a bonus, I had the opportunity to meet and speak with Bob Chapek, the chairman of Parks, Experiences, Products for the Walt Disney Company about Galaxy's Edge and just what makes this place so very special. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney Prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about upcoming WW Radio events, including our next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Before we get into our conversation about the things that we, and I think you, will love about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, I wanted to share a conversation with Bob Chapek, 
the chairman of Parks, Experiences, and Products for the Walt Disney Company. He shares some of the Genesis story, history, relationships, and significance of Galaxy's Edge, as well as its future in the Disney parks and much more. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to ask him a question about what I, and I think you will feel, is the most important element of your Galaxy's Edge experience. It was a true privilege to be able to be one of a select few to meet and speak with Bob, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share that conversation with you here. Are you excited? Do you like what you see? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think when a property starts with the genius of, you know, the Lucasfilm people and, of course, George Lucas himself, and you add in a healthy dose of ambition from the Imagineers, we're asked to or stream big with a lot of resources that were put against it and the creativity of Imagineering I think you end up with something that really almost defies logic or expectation I don't know about you all now experiencing land for the first time but when I come in here you feel like you're in a different planet it doesn't feel like you're in an, an appendage to Disneyland that's how immersive this place is. I just did a, an interview and someone said, well, there's one, soon to be two attractions here. I'm like, well, they say actually two rides. I said, there's not two rides, there's really four attractions. The first attraction is the land itself, right? I mean, it's spectacular, it's detail, it's texture, it's, it's depth of storytelling. And then, of course, you have Millennium Falcon, I mean, what a dream it is to be able to actually pilot the Falcon. And that's been extraordinary. The, the feedback has been fantastic. Ultimately, we'll have the rise of the resistance, which I personally feel will be the greatest attraction we've ever done. I mean, from every standpoint possible. And then you have the cantina. And even during the cast previews, the cantina lines were two hours every day, all day. You put all that together, and that's why we have to have a four-hour, you know, maximum. Uh, because it is so immersive, it is so deep, the experience is so great, that you spend the first two hours just sort of absorbed in it, saying, wow, is this real? So for us, this is a new high watermark, certainly a new high watermark in the industry. Uh, and I think it says great things about where we're heading, uh, what you can do with fantastic intellectual property to increase the depth of that storytelling. And what it means, uh, I think, for the future of not only Disneyland itself, but also Walt Disney World and Hollywood Studios. So, really exciting time for all of us. This is uh, this is the work of a lot of folks that have spent a lot of hard hours, again, dreaming big and uh, not letting typical constraints stop them from setting a new high water mark. So. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm glad to answer any questions that you guys... Obviously, there's so much to see here, but can we zoom in, and can you give us one of your favorite little details or hidden Easter eggs that, that you know about? Well, there's actually a whole bunch here. I would say that one of my favorite things, it's actually a soft programming thing. It's not a, a an imaginary thing, and it's the cast. Because, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but each cast member was asked to come up with their own backstory. Why they're here, what their origin is, what their problem is. So each cast member has created their own story. So that adds yet another dimension, because everything we've talked about so far is really all about the land, right? And the programming of the land. 
that when you talk to the cast, you get all these different layers. And to me, that's really what takes this. As always, it's always about the cast, right? They take it over the time. Bob, the words that keep coming to mind and, and that we keep hearing so often is storytelling, immersion, interactivity, and I think for me, it's also emotion too. I will be the first to admit that when I walked in and saw the Millennium Falcon for the first time, little nine-year-old Lou Mangiello cried, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Tell me how those four elements sort of make sort of the, the recipe for this type of experience. You know, your, your question is so insightful because you can break down every single element of this place. You can break down, you know, the facades, the buildings, the food, beverage, the merchandise, the cast, but what it really comes down to is that word, emotion. You really have to touch somebody within a, their soul that speaks to them, whether it's because of the first time that they saw the movie when they were young or some more recent experience that they've had. But it, it has to play into that world of theirs. And that's why our marketing tagline for the land is live your own Star Wars adventure, because it really is about striking that chord of emotion. And Great question, I'm glad you uh, you felt that emotion because we've had quite a few guests when they walk through the gates, just break down. And uh, it really, it says something. It's very rewarding for our Imagineers. Thank you. So the Imagineers were not only asked to create something this incredible, but they were also asked to create it twice, which is a tall order. Yeah, so what have been the positives of, of creating both of them at the same time, and has Disney ever even done anything on this kind of a massive scale? We've not done anything on this scale. Certainly we have several Sorens, right? But done over different time frames, certainly not of this magnitude. There's a, for our shareholder constituents, there's a benefit there, where you design once, build twice. Essentially this land is exactly the same as the one at Hollywood Studios, just essentially turned upside down with two entrances rather than three. So there's obviously some efficiency there. But the other thing it helps us do is that, you know, as we're as we're as we're creating science, as we're innovating, as we're inventing, we don't have to go through those, you know, perils and tribulations twice. We figure it out here, and we export it over to Orlando, and that just helps everybody get more Star Wars quicker in a way that's going to be incredibly reliable and in a way that I think is going to really build the franchise again. Smart and fun. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, it's 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 a dream come true. This place is just amazing, and you know, our guests ultimately though, it's not about what we think. It's really about what our guests in mass think. And uh, if our demand on our parks is any indication, we've got way more demand than we've got. Supplies. Speaking of the future, uh, both you and Mr. Trowbridge have implied that the land was designed with evolution of the story and possible yes. expansion in mind. Can you? give a little bit more extrapolation on the future of Galaxy's Edge. The way I look at this land is that it's a canvas, and it's a canvas that we painted, and it's it's a core. We don't have any specific plans as to where this is gonna go, because frankly, we haven't even opened it up. We don't open it up for another you know 36 hours, but I think you can see that this could be the core of something really, really spectacular, because our ambition hasn't gone away. Our ambition's only growing. I'm not exactly sure what form that's gonna take, I know most immediate the form that it's going to take, and that's Rise of the Resistance, which I, again, believe will be the greatest attraction that we've ever built. Uh, but beyond that, we've got no specific plans, but we have a lot of ambition, a lot of dreams, and plenty of stories to tell.
more than 40 years ago, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that our lives were changed forever. Not just because the Atari 2600 was introduced in North America, although that is kind of true too. Saturday Night Fever hit theaters. We lost Elvis. Roots premiered on ABC. And a little space opera known as Star Wars debuted on May 25th, 1977 and was instantly regarded as one of the most important films in the history of motion pictures. And I could easily spend hours and probably a hundred entries on a top 10 list as to how and why it impacted not just me, but the imaginations of countless kids and kids at heart everywhere and also impacted the wallets of their parents. And the more things change, the more they stay the same because as Star Wars continues to inspire and after stepping foot into the Black Spire outpost, Will also is going to make you want to sell your original 12 1977 action figures so that you can buy all the merch that you can carry home. But I'm getting ahead of myself because everything changed forever again when on August 15th, 2015, it was announced that our childhood dreams really were coming to life with Galaxy's Edge coming to Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And on that day, we also felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in joy and were suddenly amplified, because collectively, we knew something awesome had happened. Construction begins in April 2016, and recently I had the privilege of visiting Batu, a remote outpost on the galaxy's edge, in Disneyland before it opened to the public on May 31st. Of course, Walt Disney World opens August 29th. And my reaction was nothing short of emotional, to say the least. Um, I was moved to tears, and I was not alone. And speaking of not being alone, in fandom, geekdom, nerddom, and theme park fascination-dom, it's usually all best enjoyed when it can be shared with friends, and I was excited to be able to share my first experience in the Black Spire Outpost with two of mine. And this week, we are going to share our 10 things-ish we love about Galaxy's Edge. And joining me is truly a scruffy-looking nerf herder, Star Wars fan, fellow podcaster, and I think now I can call my friend Dan Zare from Coffee with Kenobi. Well, hello, Lou. Thank you. I am happy to be called a scruffy-looking nerf herder. In fact, it's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, so I appreciate it. And I hope you kept a running tally of how many Star Wars references I tried to drip into that introduction. And of course... Uh, impressive. I wanna... Most impressive. Thank you. Get running, because here comes more. I want to welcome Her Worshipfulness, a committee, Your Highness and mine, <laughs> and Your Worship... Uh, Becky, by the way, those are names that Han Solo called Princess Leia in A New Hope and Episode Sprites Back. You can uh, Google or ask Jeeves about those names while the wow. big nerds are talking. She is, of course, <laughs> Princess Becky Mankin from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. I, I, it's great to be here, Lou, to talk about this thing that you two have been nerding about and crying about and laughing about and giggling about. And I don't want to see what your credit card statements look like this month. And by oh, the way, seriously, you said, you said opera? Did you say something about a space opera? Was there singing that I missed? I was curious. Well, there was a Life Day special. 
Yes. And there don't was mock our crying, that. by the way. We are comfortable enough. I'm going to speak for Dan. We are comfortable okay. enough in ourselves to be able to, to admit that we cried. I, I'm, I'm just sure. upset that I wasn't there to see it. That That's the piece. So you, you two were there. You were crying together on each other's shoulders. You're probably using your sleeve to wipe your I, nose. I was you should alone, have videotaped but, each but other. But clearly this evidence oh, yeah. is the fact that you don't pay attention to anything that I do. I did share it on what? social because I wanted Oh, I'm going back to, to that one later. <laughs> uh, like, like and share, Lou. Like and share. <laughs> You may have been blocked on from WDW Radio's Facebook. Maybe that's why you didn't see it. <laughs> this is probably true. <laughs> Becky's still trying to figure out the whole bulletin board system and MySpace oh my thing. Gosh. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, we have got so mm-hmm. much to cover. So much. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do it in this format, because I will tell you, it is impossible to try and cover every single aspect of Galaxy's Edge. Even if we were to do a four-hour-long podcast, which would be long even for me, I don't think, and with all due respect and deference to to those who have covered it in this manner, I, I and I'll explain why, too. I, I don't think you can do it in this way either. It's it's nearly impossible to create this this ultimate guide and this everything you need to know because it is such a living, breathing, dynamic place that is certainly very specific to us. It's something I will touch on as part of my list, spoiler alert. Uh, But I do want to get right into it. And really, I want you guys to share some of the things that you love about Galaxy's Edge. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical, tangible, Becky drinkable thing. It can be anything oh, about, oh, 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 I know exactly what's on your list. <laughs> it can be anything that you and you think others would love about Galaxy's Edge. Uh, I am torn because, Dan, you are my guest. Becky, I still believe in Ladies First. But, Dan, since you haven't been on since our recap of Star Wars Celebration, I will invite you to go first and then Becky following right behind. All right. Well, the, uh, like you said, in you know, doing things for coffee with Kenobi too, it's overwhelming. When you come back from a trip like this, you could ramble on for hours and all kinds of episodes to talk about this. So there's some beauty in that because how nice to have so much to choose from. I mean, as Star Wars fans, we're incredibly – it's really fortuitous that we've got this, that this land has been made by people who love their Star Wars and who know their Star Wars. It's as authentic as it gets – which leads me to the first one that I wrote down, which would be the merchandise and Doc Ondars. We had been told that the merchandise there was going to be unique. It was going to feel in-world. It wasn't going to be like something you could see at Walmart or Target or something like that. So I wasn't sure what that meant. I wasn't sure if it was going to look like something I would see in like a garage sale, a craft show that someone made, you know, in their in their shed. And it is not like that at all. It's got this incredible, authentic in-world stuff. For example... There's an entire wall of holocrons, Jedi and Sith holocrons. Now, for the uninitiated and the Star Wars uber nerds like myself, a holocron is a square, or in the case of the Sith, it's a triangle. And it is how the Jedi or the Sith store their information and their knowledge about the Force, about their teachings and their practices, about their forms of the lightsaber, all that good stuff. So it's a way to learn about, it's like a, it's like a transporting library. You can buy these things. And the kyber crystals that you can get in uh, in Savvy's lightsaber workshop or inside Doc Ondard you can use and you can put them in. It's almost like it tells sort of like what kind of Jedi you are. 
I mean, I saw someone online, someone built their lightsaber. They took their crystal out and put it into the holocron and said they were Luke Skywalker from The Last Jedi. That's how specific it is. And then it gives you kind of an explanation of what that actually means. That's just the tip of the iceberg about what these things do. Um, I guess originally I wrote down the merchandise, but just the holocron. It's just the fact that you can get a holocron. It does so many things and it lights up and it's uh, a very, very unique item. I think that's that's it for me because that shows you how deeply they're going down the Star Wars rabbit hole to bring you something unique and innovative and amazing. Well, and I think Doc Ondar, and look, I even love the name, right? Doc Ondar's mm-hmm. Den of Antiquities. There is a, a mythos behind it. There is a mystery behind it. And I look, I, and I'm going to probably say this ad nauseum more than once, to say that currently there is only a single attraction open and there will eventually be two attractions open in Galaxy's Edge is not just a misnomer. It's doing the the land and this planet and, and injustice because Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities is far and away an attraction. Even if you don't buy a single thing, which it will take all of the power of the force behind you not to, it is visually stunning. Um, it is a, it is a circular building that if you sort of stand in the middle and just take your time looking around, not even on the merchandise shelves, guys. Like if you look up in the rafters, and and I'm getting ahead of myself for something that I'm going to touch on. There are it is a treasure trove of things to see, especially for the Star Wars and maybe other film nerds in all of us. It is remarkably well-designed and detailed. There is a vast array of merchandise. It's very easy to drop a significant amount of money because each sort of stall or stand as you walk through has merchandise that's themed to a specific character. It's Jedi. It's Sith. There's things to wear. There's things for your shelf. There's things for your wall. There's things to interact with. I was incredibly impressed at just how creative, and we won't even get to the other merchandise outside, The how creative the selection of merchandise is here, and this is probably a good point of any to say, that the merchandise that you will find in Doc Ondar's and the Black Spire Outpost is unique to this land. You will not find it in downtown Disney, Disney Springs, out in Disneyland anywhere you can only find that here and because it's going to go it really it's because of of where you are and we'll talk more about the story and the setting and the place and look even doc ondar himself the 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 proprietor of the store and the the incredibly i want to say lifelike as if i've ever seen one of these creatures before but he <laughs> looks just like the little hammerhead figure ahead from 1977 yes. but yes. he's incredibly the the articulation and the smooth movements and seeing him sort of up in his cage as if it was sort of this you know i want to say futuristic but you know very very old pawn shop on on a distant planet was one of my favorite places to visit inside galaxy's edge yeah and that 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 you know the type of alien that that the hammerhead is called the hammerhead guy Ithorian is the name, of course. And it's got, you're right, it does have that pawn shop feel. But I was going to say, the merchandise, like you said, you can't find it anywhere else, including the necklace that Princess Leia wears at the end of A New Hope. They took that, the original model of the original necklace, and they made duplicates that people can purchase there. You can purchase Yoda's cane, 
You can get some Jedi robes in there. The holocrons I mentioned, the, the stuff you'll see, it's completely mind-blowing. There's some stuff there from Star Wars Rebels for Hera Syndulla that's very sacred to her family legacy. It was only in a couple episodes of Rebels. When I saw that, I thought, my goodness, they're really... Those are really deep cuts, yeah. and and it's not it's not cheap. Look, the stuff in there is not cheap. But if you're a Star Wars fan, I mean, it's a gold mine. I'm sure it's a gold mine for Disney. Some of the other things too that they had in there that was really impressive was uh, the Leia outfit that you can get. Um, but one thing, if before I say this, I want to just go on record to say, did you tell everybody this is going to be like a 40 hour podcast? It is because not. It is not. <laughs> 20 minutes. This is like we'll the be first done. teeny little detail. But what was really cool about that is the outside. Because you don't even, there's no big sign that says, you know, come by Antiquities here. It's it's very low key. And there was quite a lineup because there was so many incredible, fascinating things to, to see and buy. Um, but I, I think some of the, like you were saying, some of the things inside is just like an attraction to go in and, and look at. You don't actually have to buy anything to enjoy the space. And I think as you look through, and I spent uh, uh, intentionally spent a lot of time inside the store because I was fascinated. If, by the way, if you go on my Facebook, um, in the WW Radio Facebook page and in the group, I have a 360-degree view that sort of is interactive that you can scroll around and really look around Doc Andros because I want you to take notice of even the chandelier and, Dan, like you said, some of the things on the walls that that reference back to A New Hope as well as all of the other films and some of the things you'll find on the the smaller screen as well. But there's a sense of, of mystery about this place. And there's also, again, a treasure trove of little details. So for example, on the walls, you will not just find a selection of blasters and helmets and, and relics, but I think maybe it was even Dan, you pointed out something off to the side, you know, if you ever wanted to know um, what <laughs> the underside of a Sarlacc pit looked like, they have this this canister that gives you a sense, and there's this little sort of animated or, or anim- animatronic Sarlacc, um, and let, you can sort of get this, this cutaway view of what it looks like underneath. It's the, uh, yeah, it's the, uh, they first premiered this in the Galaxy's Edge comic. There's a five-issue miniseries where Do- they show Doc Ondor getting one of these things and putting them in a little container. But yeah, it's a baby Sarlacc, just like the one from Return of the Jedi. And it's so creepy and so amazing and just so fascinating to look at. I remember looking at it and thinking, wow, I guess they've just answered that. What's underneath the sand? You can see why Boba Fett's digested over a thousand years in this disturbing man baby with a squid <laughs> uh like the like the thing from um that weird man-eating plant uh what's the name of that plant seymour yeah it looks like that it's um, hours, right? it's amazing but yeah it's it, you almost can hear yourself saying baby sarlacc do 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 and it's just it just we had very itself. different experience we had yeah. very very different experiences in doc ondars um, i'm not a singer by the way no yeah it's true <laughs> <laughs> but it's a uh, it's a den of antiquities that is that is full of secrets that I think are meant to be uncovered and discovered, much like the rest of the land. But I don't want to. There's there's things in there that I don't want to necessarily touch on here because they are part of my list. So, your worshipfulness, uh, please. What is first on your list? 
Well, for, for Christmas, if you, you know, are looking for a gift for me, that rebel ring was pretty cool too. So Ooh. just, just to put that out there. Noted. <laughs> I keep coming back and I mean, it's, it's been several days since we were there and I keep thinking about all the detail. And I know that we're going to hit on several of those details as we talk through this, but the one thing that I keep coming back to is the people. Um, the citizens of Batu, the Batuians, the Bat, I don't, Bat, I don't know. <laughs> Batu- I'm going to just, Batuians. I think that's how they I, I'm not exactly sure. I'm like stabbing at the dark here, but the citizens of Batu themselves, um, they are so into being on planet and being into their character. And uh, I spent a good amount of time just talking to them individually and asking them about their backstory because each one of them had to come up with their own backstory. And I I think that that's part of why I feel like this is one of the most immersive experiences I've had in these lands is because it's not only from um, the antiquities and the rides and everything else we'll talk about, but it comes all the way down to each individual person, whether it's the guy that's emptying the trash cans that are different colors <laughs> to the um, the person behind the register that is uh, handing you your really special little gift card. There's so much about them that they have invested in their character. And I think I could spend hours just going from person to person asking them about their personal backstory. Like the, the one that I spoke to that keeps sticking out to me, he recognized where I was from. And he said it was much like a little village that he is from, not too far away from Black Spire Outpost that was a fishing village and he hated fish. And so he decided to move somewhere else because he was force-fed fish all of his life. And he was telling me about his his uh, family and what they did and the ones that weren't there no longer and the legacy that was left over and how he's now trying to make his own way in the, um, uh, in the village. And I just felt that that was so amazing that the attraction isn't just a ride or isn't just uh, the ride that we're anticipating. It's also the people. Well, and I agree. And and what I love specifically about that, and it really is is this is much more on a on a broader scale, is that the cast members themselves are empowered and gifted the ability to create and craft their own story and take it as deep as they would like and they would need. So we talk about cast members playing a role. They are not playing a role as cashier or custodian, or chef, they are roles that they have crafted from themselves. And like you, the interactions that you we, we had with cast members, the, the layers of depth that they added to their story and their ability to interact with you in a very authentic way that doesn't feel as though it's forced or it's made up or they're a, you know, and not to take away from any, you know, if you are a Jungle Cruise skipper, you have a role. That is the role you play if you are a Haunted Mansion, you know, maid or butler. But this is one that they have the ability to craft on their own. And what I found out, too, is it seemed as though to me in the relatively limited time that I spent there. And, and you guys told me they sort of went out of their way to try and interact with guests, mm-hmm. to have conversations with guests, not just about what they're purchasing or what they're eating or, or 
what they're they're drinking, but really wanting to give you a sense of location and belonging. And you've heard me say this over and over again, immersion into the story. Well, they were given a lot of latitude. You could tell it wasn't like um, you felt like they were doing a job that you felt mm. like you were uh, surrounded by actual people of the village working their shops and their locations. And if they wanted to stop and have a conversation with you about where you were from or what you were doing, it wasn't forced. It wasn't rushed. It was very genuine how I felt. And it, I felt that at the press event, which sometimes can be a little bit more showy than when it really is the the actual day. But opening day was the same way as well. And I really appreciated that. I also appreciated, it, since we're talking about the, the people in the village, was the way that the regular characters that we know and love, like the Jabaka and the Ray and the Kylo Ren, um, walk through and live in the village. They don't come on stage, do a 30-minute set, have your picture taken from the line and walk off. They truly do have that um, that sense of they come in, they might greet a couple of people, take a couple of pictures, and then they're doing what is happening in their lives. Like Chewbacca came in and went up and was working on one of the um, – uh, one of the spacecraft and something blew up and he yelled and flailed his arms and fixed it and came back down and went somewhere else and uh, met with other kids as they were walking through. So it really did feel like you are in a living, breathing village. Even when I walked into the Falcon one of the times to write it, uh, I said, I said, bright suns, you know, as we do. And he goes, he goes, yes, really bright suns. And he laughed and it was actually bright outside. I just thought that was fun. Like it's still in world, it's still in universe, but they're having fun with it and putting personality. It's not like they're just reading a script mm-hmm. or like they're they're doing a skit, like you mentioned, Becky. This is like they try to make it a part of their experience and your experience. It's not just, you know what I mean? It's like it's not an ostentatious thing. It's more done to be a part of this world, part of this universe. And I think that's really impressive. Well, look, it even goes back to their role on stage like every cast member and i'm going to keep using the word empowered because i think it's important they are able to choose more so design their own costume there is no set this is the casey's corner costume this is what you wear it's here is a selection of different fabrics headwear scarves pants whatever you choose not your forever costume you choose your costume for the day so there is such a sense of personalization for the individual cast members as well as the the community, because that's what it's really meant to feel like, the community that, that lives at the Black Spire Outpost. Yeah, and I remember one of the best interactions that I remember seeing was Lou Yu. When you um, found the resistance person that was hiding behind everything, there's like ducking and, and weaving and got you involved to kind of hide her from the um, from the first order. And I, I just that was kind of cool. I saw it with you it and, I, cool. and I saw it again uh, later on on opening day when she came into where the Falcon was and she grabbed two kids and she, the parents were somewhere else drinking milk or something. And she grabbed those kids and she like had the kids hide behind her as they like worked their way up to the Falcon 
uh, with all the stormtroopers in the area. I just, you could just see that theater is going on. The story is happening all around you, even though it's not something that is up on a stage, which is really impressive. And that's actually going to lead me to what is, is first on my list, which honestly I intended to have last on my list because I think it's, it's the most important part, but I think it just fits in here so appropriately. And I'm also afraid that either one of you might steal it. <laughs> we talk about the cast members and their role and their performance and their story. And it's never felt like it was forced. Certainly nothing is scripted at all because everybody's story <laughs> is unique. And that's the part of Galaxy's Edge for me that is unique, that separates this land and this experience from anything else we find in any other Disney park anywhere. Because we play a role, right? And that's why I said at the beginning, with all due respect, I do not believe there can nor should there be the ultimate guide that because we make our own stories. As we go through, not just Smuggler's Run, but the cantina, the shops, the restaurants, our interactions on the street with the cast members, some of the things we can do on our mobile mobile devices, which I know we'll get to too, we are creating our own story. And to bring things full circle, we we, we talk you know, in, in the Disney space and world as we look at things and say, I wonder what Walt would think. And it's an impossible question to answer. I think this one's very easy to answer because this is sort of the the exponential evolution of what Walt wanted with Disneyland, right? Part of the reason why he wanted to build Disneyland, other than the place other than having a place that families have fun together, was it afforded him the opportunity to bring his two-dimensional stories to life. Not in just such a way that we were watching them in 3D, but he really wanted us to be active and interactive participants of it. That's why there was a little bit of a disconnect on attractions like Snow White's Scary Adventures. People didn't get that we were supposed to be Snow White living out her story. This is the next generation of that. We're not living out Han Solo or Luke Skywalker or Yoda, easy joke, a, a random Ewok story, <laughs> we are crafting our own little Ewok adventures, right? <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. And that's, you know, the, the re-rideability, quote-unquote, of this land is your time going not just through Smuggler's Run, but your time going through the land is one that you are going to create on your own. And again, not to, to jump ahead, but what the app allows you to do in terms of not just crafting this profile and earning rewards and benefits, but it's an extension of you. There is an avatar that is being built in there that is uniquely you. And every time you go back, you are building on your own. Look, it, it's brilliant. It's brilliant in the simplicity of the concept. It's brilliant more so in the execution of it, in how we are not, this is not a passive experience. We no. truly have a role and are creating our own story every time we step foot in Batu. You know what's fascinating about this too, and you helped me to kind of flesh that out in my mind, is in other, in other lands and other parks and whatever, 
they have, you know, a similar idea as far as, oh, look at, you know, here is this castle. Here is this. Here, look at this. Look at this shop, blah, blah, blah. Bad 2 and Galaxy's Edge, I feel like everything isn't a transition piece or window dressing or or superfluous. It's all connected. It's all part of it. So whether you're on Smuggler's Run or going to the milk stand or going to the docking base 7, I feel like it is all connected in such a way. I don't feel like any of it is just there to get you to the next ride. I feel like it's all part of the world, all part of the experience, all part of the land. I don't feel like you're going to feel cheated anywhere that you are. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I better hurry. Okay, this was cool. I better go ride this other attraction. And then I'm going to go to Fantasyland. It's not like that at all. It's more like this is still part of the story and the experience. And it's incredible that they're actually able to do that. I forgot I wasn't riding rides for a while. I thought, well, I'm just enjoying this land. Absolutely. So, so yeah. So, Dan, so, so I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what is not necessarily next on your list, but maybe the next thing that you thought of or the next most important or the thing that you love the most. Right. Well, I mean, the thing I love the most is building a lightsaber. Well, I'll save that for the end <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, no, one of the things I think that is really, really cool about this. One, I mean, of course, it's the Millennium Falcon. I mean, how could it not be the Millennium Falcon? Seeing that that ship, that YT-1300, you know, light freighter is just unbelievably breathtaking because that's the centerpiece. I like that no matter where you are in Batu, all roads lead to the Falcon. I mean, that's that's a T-shirt right there, patent pending. <laughs> um, because they all do. It's almost like a giant U-shape, even though the way that they have it designed, it doesn't feel that way, but it actually kind of is. But you always go back to the Falcon. And when you go there and you see this thing, it's almost like when you see the Sears Tower, for the, or I guess it's called Willis Tower now, or, or Wrigley Field, or you can tell I live in Chicago, or just something like that. There's, it's just that presence is it's just right there in front of you. You're like, well, of course it's right in front of me. I've been thinking of it in my mind since I first saw Star Wars in 1977 or 78 or whenever you've seen it. So that's great. Of course that's great. But when you're in the line and you walk inside the Falcon into the main hold itself, you hear the hum of the ship while you're walking through the corridors. It reminds me very much of being on a jetway when you're about to board a ship. But in the Falcon, you hear the Falcon, the, the engine slowly kind of humming. You know, you've got the floor, you've got the ceiling, you know, everything about, you know, the, the, the famous tunnels that you that Han Solo and everyone walks through to get to where they need to, to get into the cockpit itself. It's just those little details like that. I mean, I never thought, well, they should pipe in some some sound of the engine kind of purring, but it's there and it just, it makes you feel like you're in a real place. I agree. And, and that's actually very close to, to something that I'm going to talk about, but you mentioned the Falcon specifically and look, man, we, we talked about this multiple times. The moment that I stepped foot into the land, the first thing that I saw from the entrance that I came in at was the millennium Falcon, which they, which Disney explained is the very first time there has been a single full scale version of a millennium Falcon. Ones that they've built on set and on stages and on sound stages have either been pieces of it, they've been a little bit of forced perspective, it's been a little bit askew, but this is what the Falcon would look like if Han Solo were to land it right there in Batu. And I saw it, man, and I cried. Like, not a tear up, like, you know, little sniffle, like, I sat there weeping, and I'm like, what is this salty discharge coming from my eyes? Like, 
I was I was woefully unprepared for the emotional impact and effect that it had from me. And again, if you've heard me talk about this on the show, you know, I, I've I've said that I'm my my love of Star Wars is very much rooted in the original trilogy. And as time has gone on, unfortunately, I have felt that starting to wane a little bit. I wanted the original, I wanted, you know, episode one to be awesome, and I bought every single toy. Much to my chagrin, <laughs> like if you would have come to recent garage sales, you could have had some of those toys. But <laughs> as the films had gone on, my 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 attachment to Star Wars had started to dissipate. And then, and it's funny because one of the, the the things I have on my shelves, if you guys can see behind me, is I have my original Han Solo blaster from 1977 that I have kept since I was a little kid. I saw the fa- I'm getting choked up, man. I saw the Falcon and, and it hit me like a wave. Like, and I thought of my dad and I thought of seeing Star Wars for the first time. And, you know, I, I didn't think of it of at the time, but sort of that Chewy were home was that feeling that mm-hmm. I got. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about, listen, man, I'm going to be all up in my feels a lot in this episode because <laughs> the feeling that overcame me of, of such emotion when I saw that, and it was only... Um, expanded upon as I started to, to wander that land, but forgetting the fact that it's just an iconic vessel from, you know, uh, from, from cinematic history. Um, it is, it's, it represents a lot. I don't want to, it does. It sort of represents a lot more, especially for those of us who grew up on it. That's so true. And if you're going to talk about the Falcon, one of the things that I really appreciated about it, a couple, well, a few, (laughs) was the first one. You guys were there for the media event. It was very sparse. There wasn't a lot of people there. And you got these great pictures of you standing in front of the Millennium Falcon with nobody in the background. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, no one's ever going to get that picture again. And they proved me wrong because the way they've set up the um, the photo pass people, you can stand in line off to the side and the photo pass people have you stand in front of the Millennium Falcon with nobody in the background. So uh, I've seen countless numbers of people now get that iconic photo of just them with nobody in the background and with the Millennium Falcon there. I'm glad that they thought about that and thought it through because it really is cool much like the the picture you can get once you board um, at the chess table. Uh, you do have to kind of do a little bobbing and weaving to to get in line to get that before your, your number is called. But I, I think that that is one of the most brilliant things is having all of those Instagrammable weenies all over the place that you can take pictures of as you're waiting to board the, or to go into the cockpit. What am I'm I glad favorite? to hear that. How do they keep people out from the, from the opposite side away from the cockpit? Because I probably am not going to run away. I'm probably going to stand there and try to jump up and hug it. <laughs> Stormtroopers, what? like Stormtroopers. Storm <laughs> like how, how do they? How do they? How do they center that so that people don't get in on you the know, other side? It was really cool because you're close enough in. Um, you mean on the outside of the Millennium Falcon, right? Yes. because yeah, like, yeah. if you stand by the cockpit, that's one thing. But if you go to the other end. And the complete opposite side. No, they had they had like four stations in a in a semicircle, kind of around the Falcon, and they you didn't have people in the background because those four stations were literally you right into oh. the into the spaceship. So it was really cool. I've I have seen several of my friends' pictures now. It it was opening day. There were mass amounts of people, and there was no one in the background of their pictures, unless you look really closely and you might be able to see some of the um, the queue that's kind of above it. Did what you say spaceship? Favorite, spaceship? Oh, hey. 
Hunk of junk, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite views of the Falcon actually comes from inside the queue. Mm. Having those windows, because you sort of get that kind of medium trailing shot of the back of the Falcon and those those six black, you know, venting ports up on the top. It's how I I'm getting geez Louise, man. It's how I, as a kid, when I held my giant, you know, Millennium Falcon toy and would be behind it, you know, pretending like I was piloting it through the asteroid field and dodging TIE fighters, I'm like, I, I am this six inch action figure. Like I that's exactly how I felt. I was a little action figure with the telescoping lightsaber that came out of my arm, the double telescoping lightsaber, Star Wars collecting fan nerds, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But that for me, like I found myself pausing in the queue just to kind of take that in. It the ship is not just massive, but so incredibly detailed and so impressive, most impressive. Um <laughs> The exterior shot of the Falcon is almost an att- an attract or as much as it is an attraction, which makes the queue even more exciting. Like you said, because you don't even realize you're going to get the money shot when you're inside the queue and you're walking along and you look out the window and you see the bag, you see those ports, you see the exhaust area. It's and and then at night too. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But at night, it's 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 dare I say even more stunning. Yeah. So I have no idea who goes next. I've completely lost track. I think it's I think it's I think it's uh her worshipfulness. Wow. That's going to that's going to stick and I'm hoping it doesn't. All right. It's a compliment. It's, it's, it means okay. you're you're Princess Leia. Wow. Uh, I know Princess Leia and oh. you are. <laughs> Now how how did how did he step into that and it end up coming boomeranging back on me? Don't you worry. I'll work, just, you I'll work just, that out later. All move right. Move ahead, princess. So, well, thank you. Um, and I did hit print screen when I saw you crying. So that was perfect. <laughs> I own it. I'm totally cool with it. So I, I, I'm going to, I have two that I really want to do, but I, I'm going to go to the obvious. I'm going to get the obvious out of the way. The cantina. <laughs> Insert cantina music here. Yes. <laughs> I I love that place so much. I wanted to find out if I could purchase a, a table for myself back in the back corner. I think that that was so well done. And again, it a lot of it is not due to the visual when you walk in because it, it's the cantina when you walk in. But it's, again, the cast because they were behind the bar. They were engaging people. They were yelling and cheering. And when the um, when the engine dies, when the electricity goes out, everybody's running around to fix it and banging on things. And you're really sucked into the story. And on top of that, they hand you a fuzzy tauntaun. You know, how can you go wrong with that? <laughs> or a yubnub or all of the other great, uh, the theming of the beverages, the adult beverages and the non-alcoholic beverages are so well themed. And it makes you want to sit there and order every single one because you want to try every single one. Um the I just saw and I didn't see it when I was there, but I have seen a couple of pictures posted about the flight, the beer flight. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. The little tray? Yeah, I which, have. A, did like you get Rancor. it? No, they wouldn't let me order anything. It was pretty much here. Try these samples. But there's like I think there's like is there four or six? It's like a Rancor yeah. flight. I think it's called. Yeah, it's like four. I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I, but I took it, a picture. I'll check. 
it was really impressive how you, it is expensive, but you walk away with a pretty cool piece of um, uh, something that you can actually put in your luggage to take home as opposed to the lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but I, I just, and with the, the Yub Nub, you get the, um, the ceramic glass, which is like a tiki mug that everyone was salivating over. I just, I love that place. And at first I was kind of disappointed because you knew that was going to be the place where the line was going to be. And at one point the line was almost two and a half hours long just to get into uh, the cantina. But I've heard since they have implemented a uh, virtual queue system now. So if you run in, get your name in the virtual queue and then you can go do other things and then go back and drink. Yay. <laughs> I am really thrilled with how that whole thing came out in the theming. And um, yeah, the cantina is up there for me. You know, Becky, you Becky goes for the I'm drinks. For it. I know. I you you go for the drinks. I you you stay for everything else, right? Yes. And and there's a there's yeah. a reason why, and I believe that they still have a, a a time limit that you can spend in the cantina. Is that true? I know at the beginning of the tournament, I, I know they have a two drink maximum. So I do like know a, that, and it is four. So Becky, it's five for, minutes. Okay, so it, it is four. By for the way, four four drinks 40, for the. They were shooting for a forty-five minute time period. I think. Right. There. Okay. That's not bad. That's enough to get drunk and pass out. Or in the alternative, to go in and take in <laughs> again all of the details that are in there. So I mean, even if, you know when you first walk in, as you go into the entrance, if you turn around, there's sort of a giant. Um, uh, message board There's in Arabesh that mm -hmm, in case mm -hmm. you are not familiar with Arabesh you can use your phone to translate but everything that's happening behind the bar in terms of the yeah. details the way the drinks are poured some of the animatronics that are there let's talk about the 500 pound Wookiee in the room DJ Rex is back yo and DJ He's Rex so fun. Is, is so fun. awesome I wanted so desperately to take home one of the little interactive DJ Rex uh, droids that you can get from the, the droid depot. But he is not just playing the cantina, you know, sort of the, the, the familiar theme song, but he is spinning music that was crafted specifically for this land. There are Easter egg-ish elements to, um, obviously, if you... Don't know. Rex was the captain in Star Tours before um, the adventures continue uh, was was open, and now he has a a gig as the DJ here. But Rex, being Rex, um, sometimes things don't go the way he plans. He malfunctions here or there, and you may or may not hear some things that sound somewhat familiar from his early days uh, captaining captaining the the Star Speeder. <laughs> 3000 um, in Disneyland and Walt Disney World and he moves and he dances and he articulates and he talks and he sings and the place was just fun to be in not to mention the fact that we were able to sample a couple of the drinks that were in there and to be clear not everything that is served in there um, does have alcohol in it um, all the ones that I tried I believe were non alcoholic uh, i'm trying to remember what i think i had the java juice which was orange mm -hmm. pineapple kiwi cantaloupe 
and blueberry popping pearls, like little boba pearls. So there's probably five or six non-alcoholic ones as well as a number of alcoholic drinks as well. And they do. We didn't get a chance to have it. There's also a little snack mix that you can have too. And looks like there's probably nine or so alcoholic drinks four beers, a cider, some wines on tap. So there's a wide selection of things to have in there. But um, for me, it wasn't necessarily the libations themselves. As It was, it was the location, not the libation. <laughs> and they awesome. also have those the breakfast drinks, too. So if you get there early and you've got that, hey, everything come on. For you, everything it's for you alcohol. is a breakfast well, drink. Well, actually, a couple of them are because they, they do have like a coffee, orange marmalade, rum, vanilla whipped cream thing, wow. um, a bloody rancor, uh, which is like a, a Bloody Mary. And let's see, they do have a Black Spire brew, non-alcoholic, uh, coffee with honey. And passion fruit and citrus. Mm. That coffee with Kenobi. You can't have that if I'm in there. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then <laughs> a couple of teas and then the blue bantha too. So there's there are all kinds of options that don't include alcohol, Lou. So, you know, you can have a little fun still in the morning. The one that I had that was that and it was like um kind of a, a pineapple and a coffee flavor. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? It was really good. I didn't think it sounded like you can taste like the 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 juice part, and then there's a coffee after taste, and it, it sounds terrible, but it's actually was it was amazing. Really it's kind of ref- it was very really refreshing. But one of the things I liked about it, again, I, I was nine year old Lou Mangello the entire time I was there. The booths look like they came out of the Moss yes. Eisley Spaceport Cantina. <laughs> like I want to just yeah. sit in it and sit back and put my feet up, Han Solo. Captain the Millennium Falcon. Like I want to do that so bad because it's exactly didn't? how. <laughs> Maybe that would be the first <laughs> thing I would thought you would have done. The very first thing you would have run to a booth. But got it is, up like there, that's what it was. Like I was, you know, it, it's not obviously it's not Moss Eisley, but it, that's what it, it's. It's so evocative of that, and you know, it's the place that we always wanted to visit, and now finally you can. Yep. So, um, which you know, perfect segue, Mangello leads to what is and again there's sort of no order to this list you know except maybe what i had before is sort of the most one of the most important for me but what i found was that the best attraction in galaxy's edge is not smuggler's run the best attraction in galaxy's edge is galaxy's edge the land itself Mm -hmm. is far and away the best uh, while the cantina or Doc Ondar, so there might be single locations that are spectacular, but the overall land itself is a masterpiece of themed design. I felt that when Cars Land opened, it was one of the best pieces of work that Imagineering as a whole had done. You step foot there and you are in this animated world of route 66 you had a sense of place in that movie when pandora opened i think it took things to the next level in terms of this feeling that you were off world somewhere because it is very much in all five senses 360 degrees experience it's a bit smaller but the the difference is there's no for me I don't necessarily have the emotional connection to cars, certainly not to 
Avatar, I would be very, very hard-pressed to give you the name of three characters from the film. But the land here, while it's a unique location, there are certainly elements of Tatooine, of Mos Eisley Spaceport, of the Cantina, of the, the forest moons of Endor, and some of these locations that we have seen and it doesn't matter if you are, and this is across the board if you are new to the Star Wars universe or you are a you know day 1 May 1977 you know super nerd it is an incredibly i have to find i have to somebody get me a thesaurus i need another word other than immersive but from the architecture to the pavement like I always tell you to look up and look around, look down at the pavement. Look at the details there. The land itself is telling a story. First of all, it's huge. I will admit the first pass that I went through the land, I missed the fact that there was this winding pathway that takes you down to where Rise of the Resistance is going to be. I did not realize just how expansive it is, not just in a horizontal sense but even a vertical sense this idea of it being the black spire outpost the the design of the rock work and the trees and the mountains gives you a sense of this vertical space that goes off into the distance and the horizontal space that has these pathways that you can't see i mean architecturally and design wise it, it's stunning because there are so many sharp turns and curves to go around like i'm thinking specifically if you go and you're staring at the droid depot and you have to kind of go around you don't see what's around that corner there there's a sense of mystery and adventure and i don't know how else to describe it like the land feels alive not just because it's populated with familiar characters and as well as the residents of Batu but the way it's designed and the sort of that that multi-level multi-step area you know you have to kind of go up and over that center area to get over to the falcon and in places like when you transition from main street to adventureland Right, there used to be the bridge, and now there's a lot of grass, uh, uh, trees, and, and greenery, because it wanted to give you a sense of not knowing what's on the other side. I found that as I was wandering throughout uh, uh, Galaxy's Edge, that there was something to be discovered around the corner, which you don't really get necessarily in a place like Pandora, because it's it's all one level for the most part, and it you can pretty much see almost end to end depending on where you're standing. It's expansive. It's immersive, it's mysterious, and it is simply spectacular and beautiful in its design and execution. And mesmerizing and hypnotic and riveting and alluring, FYI, mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. source is, you know, Googleable. And nostalgic, <laughs> and nostalgic too, right? Yes. I mean, it's... Yeah, and the land itself was one of mine on the list too. So I'm I'm going to jump on this because now I got to scramble to think of what's next. But the the three things that I really enjoyed about the land itself was first of all the line of sight. When you're when you're in the land, you don't see anything else. You don't see um, Splash Mountain off in the background. You don't see any other land or any other icon that I can remember looking for. If if you guys spotted one, then 
you know, let me know. I, but I, I didn't absolutely see one. was I was deliberately looking for it. Yeah. I was trying Same. to see if I could find it, and there was nothing. There was no and, intrusion. And given the size and the footprint of this in the small space that Disneyland had to work with, that's impressive to be able to pull that off. And uh, the 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 literal size of the land too, like you said, there's places to to walk and discover and wander down and meander into different pathways where you'll find things that you know aren't something that's that's charted on the map, which is incredibly cool. But the the third thing too that I really enjoy, and it's almost not fair because the reservation system only allowed us a four hour time period when we were in the land, but uh, some of us didn't get to on that opening day and after didn't get to experience both the day and the night. And I think you mentioned it earlier, Dan, that you were so right. The, um, the land takes on an entirely different personality from sunshine into when the, uh, when the moons are rising, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. amazing. The lighting changes things. The mood is changed. Uh, looking at the the different um, angles of the land, it's like being in an entirely different village between day and night. And I hope everybody has an opportunity to see it in both ways because it really does take on a whole different personality. There is something very, I'm sorry, there, there's something very cinematic about this place too. I mean, it was clearly designed not like a movie set, but with that sort of... of um, uh, design in mind. So, sorry, Dan. I mean to interrupt you. No, not at all. No, you're you're, you're dead or on, and that actually ties in what I was going to say. At night, when I was in this the side where the first order is heavily involved, and you've got the tie echelon parked down there, and Kylo Ren comes out with uh, different uh, different officers from the first order, it felt a little more sinister. I mean, I mean, of course, you still feel safe, but you're in that show, you're in that world, you're on stage two, uh, you're in the Star Wars universe. And it just feels like a different place where when the sun's out, besides the guns being out, of course, you've got the notion that it's, you know, it's open and it's expansive, but at night it just feels like there's no worship, there's no shadows, there's no places to hide. And when the stormtroopers are walking around, it's much more easier for them to come up and harass you. Which, by the way, when I saw the stormtroopers uh, teasing Becky, she handled it like a complete Jedi champ. Very impressed. <laughs> she called Thank in you. her royal guards to have them disposed of immediately. Shh, quiet. That's my it was, secret. It's quite good. <laughs> now, the fact you, you can Dan. stand. Oh, true. It's true. And isn't it cool? You both mentioned this. Not only can you not see any other part of Disneyland, you can't hear any other part of Disneyland. Yeah. I didn't hear any oohs and ahs and screams or music from anywhere else. When I did hear music, when it was quiet enough where I actually could, it was just Star Wars stuff for the atmosphere, the sound effects of the beasts, or just the, you're just sort of enveloped. There's another word instead of immersion. You're sort of enveloped in this Star Wars experience. All all five senses, and we've talked about this a lot, are completely enraptured through this Batuian experience. And I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not trying to jump out of place, but, but this very much ties into something else that, that's on my list that maybe is is more integral to what I was talking about than, than not is the level of detail. And I think you're right. It, it's important. First of all, the place feels like it's been there forever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the trees and the greenery and the rock. And there's even cracks like, in the, on the floor too, yeah. when you're walking into pavement. And, and that's really where it is. This, this is, and, and if you want to count this as another one of mine, you can, and I'll just skip a turn, but the, 
the detail and the design and the storytelling that takes place in this land without a character in it, without anything going on, there's it, it's it's telling a, a story. And maybe it sort of goes back to this idea of it being cinematic and and the the attention to detail. Look, when you are standing in the Black Spire marketplace, you absolutely get the sense of this Moroccan open air mm-hmm. marketplace. And we'll yep. talk about the the merchandise, but I, I paid attention to the you know the the wide shot and then the close up. Right, I was looking at the details. I looked at the banners. I looked at the signage. I looked at the the changes in the light fixtures because I'm a nerd and it's what I do. <laughs> There's a, um, a again, it sort of goes back to this sense of adventure and storytelling. There was almost there was at one point there was almost a little Raiders of the Lost Ark thing going on for me. Like <laughs> I the 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 storytelling that the land is able to accomplish in and of itself is why I feel it it's the most impressive attraction. It was it does it without even trying. It's just part it's just built into the design and the structure and the storytelling elements of it. And in and, and I one thing that I don't I haven't heard anyone talk about, we certainly didn't talk about when the two of you were having a cup of coffee with me on coffee with Kenobi. You don't have to know anything about Star Wars to enjoy this place either. You know, it's not like you're going to walk in and someone's going to quiz you or you're going to fail some sort of a trivia contest and feel silly. You just walk in, you're part of the experience. They they bring you into it. And, you know, it's there for the taking. There's little Easter eggs for the most nuanced of fans to enjoy. But if you just want to go in and experience this new, beautiful area, you can absolutely do so with the biggest smile on your face and want to come back for more and more. I better jump in and give my next one before these two steal it again. <laughs> um, so the next one that I have is the fact that you can go in there. <laughs> the fact that you can go in there and you can buy authentic, you know, Jedi robes. You can buy Ray's uh, outfit from The Last Jedi. The, it's Anakin's Jedi robes from Return, A Revenge of the Sith, and Obi-Wan Kenobi's as well. Uh, of particular interest to me is that you can buy the the Resistance X-Wing pilot uniforms, which, you know, they're iconic. And yes, I am biased, but I was very lucky in 2016, I got to fly out to Hollywood with my wife and be in a Target Rogue One Star Wars commercial. And I got to wear an X-Wing pilot outfit that was custom made just for me, which of course I tried to take, but that didn't, <laughs> it didn't work out. They said, no, we, we're going to keep this. All right. But now I don't have to worry about that. I can just go and buy. I mean, it looks just like the one that I wore. It looks just like the ones that you see on screens. And this is a very unique collectible in its own right. Now you can't wear it there on property per se. And there are certain rules and reasons for that, which are very actually cogent and rational. And I totally understand why they do it. But you have it. So, you know, you've got these costume organizations like the Rebel Legion or the Mandalorian Mercs of the 501st who do incredible charity work globally. Uh, for for people for uh, for make a wish and things like that, which of course Lou you know about very very well, and you can get there and you can be a part of that experience. You don't have to worry about building your own costume. You've got the authentic Lucasfilm sanctioned costumes right there, and I amazing. I mean, yeah, you can go and buy robes and stuff like that, but the fact that you can get it there on bad too, and you know it's got that stamp of approval. I mean, for someone like me, because I like the authenticity of all of this so incredibly much. So when I saw the costumes. 
in person, I was amazed at when we saw them at Star Wars Celebration, Dan, we, we saw them in the in the Galaxy's Edge booth, and they almost looked like they were prop costumes. And I figured maybe they were, and I asked, and I said, no, this is what you're going to be able to buy when you get to Batu. When you get to that open-air marketplace and you see that stall with that vendor selling them, they look as though they came off screen. They are, they're, you know, to use sort of the... the Movie making lingo, they're they're hero versions of costumes. You don't get the sense that this is when I say costume, I think of like the Ruby's costumes from the 70s. Like they're not plastic with a little, you know, plastic mask with the tie in the back. You look as though you could walk out on screen with them. And and I try to get clarification in terms of what the actual guidelines were for costumes. And and anyone correct me if I'm wrong, from what I understand, the costumes that you buy in Galaxy's Edge, the, the, the tunics that you can wear and raise, co- all of those are okay to wear inside the park except for the robes. So you cannot don a Jedi robe. They didn't say why. My guess could only be is because you may or may not encounter real Jedis, and they just don't want any potential guest confusion if you are a, an actual resident of Batu or just a, a visitor um to there as well but um to your point jam dan between the the quality and the detail of the costumes and the legacy sabers and we'll get to the build your own sabers again we're no longer taking our dad's bathrobe and you know the wrapping paper tube <laughs> from christmas and pretending that we're alec guinness like hey speak you- for yourself <laughs> I-, I was gonna say i, I have a-, a feeling that both of you did that yeah. just exactly that <laughs> Just this morning, actually. <laughs> nice. So, Becky, what um, what would be next for you? Oh, okay. Uh, I have I have like seven pieces of paper here with just stuff. So, I'm going to go with something that's kind of all encompassing of a few things, but <clears throat> the the level of engagement. Besides just talking to citizens of Batu, but the the thoughtfulness of how you will experience the land is incredible. For example, you don't just walk into a shop that has droids. You build one. You and a family, your family can get together. You can go to a conveyor belt. You can choose different pieces. You can pick the color. You can bring it to life. You can do this together with people that you love or people, your friends or by yourself. You, you were engaged to, uh, to do this and create your own story. And it's not just from the Joy Depot. I know we'll get to the lightsaber thing. I will leave that for Dan. So he's not going to get mad at me, <laughs> but, uh, the other things like when you go to the little the little creature area, you meet the little creatures, they talk to you, they wander around. And then if you buy one, you take it home in a pet carrier. I mean, it's just so thoughtful how they've done this um, all the way to let's go ahead and touch on the app. Because I think that is, again, if the the food and the merchandise and the land itself and the ride and the people weren't enough they've also done an incredible job with the play app where you can scan things and hack things and check things out and have credits taken and given to you depending on how you do and 
uh, how the environment reacts to you, which pulls you into the story is just, I, I can't, I still can't wrap my my brain around it. Uh, when, when we left the, the Falcon after piloting it and walking out and how you've done is reflected in the tunnel as you leave. I, I mean, all of those really teeny tiny minute details make up just this really rich, engaging environment that, again, you are not going to want to leave when you get there. So I actually had the the Play Disney Parks app specifically on my list. So we'll just sort of extend okay. out on that from what you were talking about, because you're right, because and it sort of goes back in, in, into what all we were talking about in terms of the immersion and things like that. You know, as somebody who has been going to the parks for such a long time, I've had a, a love-hate relationship with my phone and the, and the phones of others. Um, Walt Disney World and the Disney parks for me has always been a place to escape reality. And I wish sometimes I could just, you know, lock my phone in my room and leave it there so I could be so present. And not that it's any of my business, obviously, but I would oftentimes over the years watch families together and they'd be standing in a queue and mom, dad, and the two and a half kids are looking down and the dad's checking email and the mom's on Facebook and the daughter's doing her duck face for Instagram and the son is playing, you know, <laughs> Jetpack Joyride or Minecraft or whatever. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, first of all, this is your family trip. You spent so much and sacrificed so much to get here. Like, engage with one another and engage in the land. And I think Disney has done some wonderful things and and progressed over the years in terms of making the cues interactive from physical things that you can do to um, uh, ones that are more um, that that are less um, attached to the attraction. And what has happened with the Play Disney Parks app that was released about a year or so ago? Is it is no longer meant to be your phone is no longer a distractor or a dra- distraction from your time in the park. It is meant to enhance what you are doing, um, not just in terms of uh, uh, things like scavenger hunts, but it's really and what the Play Disney Parks app does is the gamification of your experience. So mm-hmm. when it is not just about you know, making fast passes anymore. It's there's a whole nother layer and skin and and uh, application almost that comes to life inside Galaxy's Edge. And again, without giving away too much, there are tasks you can do in between eating, uh, you know, the smugglers run, eating, snacking, drinking, eating, etc. While you're in the park, there's things to translate. There are boxes to scan but there's also droids you can hack there are jobs you can be assigned you can and i don't want to give it away because as i came out of the falcon one time and i stopped for about 20 minutes i started to dig into the attraction a little bit and saw that i was getting obviously automated but messages that were being sent to me for tasks that I was told to do. And if I wanted to be a resistance spy or a first order sympathizer, I can do different things in terms of controlling, you know, various door panels. So there was, there were experiences and games and activities that I can do throughout the land that were 
like everything else, personal and unique to me, but I could also do with the people in my party. More importantly, it's the overall gamification for everybody in the land, right? Whereas um, this this game, and depending on what people do, the 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 control of the outpost to a certain degree can go towards either the resistance or first order. But if you look in your profile, you're building not just credits, but you're building a persona. You are, you know, getting different costumes, different weapons, different tools that the more you go and the more you do will allow you to drill down deeper and monstrous amounts of credit to the developers of this app. Normally as a tech nerd, right, when an app comes out, man, you know, it's a it's a version 1.0, it's buggy, it's it crashes. The app was spectacular in terms of its execution and its design and its ease of use. Like my kids would be able to do it. I don't know if my mom could, but but I was able to do it. (laughs) And I I love the fact that it was something that made my time there better as opposed to distracting me from what was, does that make any sense? Well, yeah, Yeah. the, the app itself is again, yet another attraction because you don't have to go on Smuggler's Run or to go to the canteen or do any of these other things if you didn't want to, because it sounds like you could spend an entire day with the app building your persona, which I think that is, again, brilliant. It, it enhances things rather than distracts. Mm-hmm. And, I, and as a guy who's, who teaches literature and writing for my day job anyway, I like that there's an Orbesh translator on there that you can use. Because I think Orbesh is a, sort of a beautiful symbolic way that it's a star wars written language it's not a spoken language and i just love that it's everywhere and there's all little easter eggs and nuggets and there's little inside jokes and and humorous anecdotes it is really really a clever another another here's that word again immersive way i hope this i hope people don't listen to this and make it a drinking contest because you're it's gonna be bad news (laughs) i think it's great um I think it's my turn. I sort of piggybacked on you a little bit, but uh, I, as we're, I think we're starting to, to, to come together and wrap up. I, and this is one I think that we all found that we love. And this very much touches me, not just in the nostalgic sense as a Star Wars fan, but it's really how I got my start in this whole Disney thing. I was I, I've always been fascinated by the the trivia and the details and the stories and at Galaxy's Edge, I got two words for you, man. Easter eggs. Yep. The, yeah. the Easter eggs may be the best attraction because it is replete with countless, I mean, not even close to being able to scratch the surface. Now, look, time-wise, right? And we talked about a sense of place. This place, this, this land is supposed to sort of take place in between sort of, you know, Last Jedi and and right. But there are Easter eggs here from the the classic trilogy to the prequels to the spinoffs to the toys merchandising and the the <laughs> animated series. And I don't want to give away a, a lot, but there are some that I saw that just put a smile on my face, or I was like, "Oh man, like that's just way too cool." I mean, so a simple one is if you look at the cargo ship above um, Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo, there's three shipping containers there because, as you see, the story of Docking Bay is how they get their food. 
The shipping bay containers have numbers on them. The 77, 80, and 83, which obviously are the years that the original trilogy came out, those are pretty easy. But if you go, so one of the things I loved was if you go into Ronto Roasters, there's a, a pod racer engine that's, you know, according to story, sort of cooking the, the Ronto meat. If you look really carefully, the droid that's working there is the same droid that's in, or the same type of droid that's in Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi that's sort of branding the feet of the gonk droid. And by the way, there's gonk droids everywhere, and I dig me some gonk droids. Um, It's just over, the little sign that had the the Toydarian, like Watto was on it. Like, it goes on and on and on. And I found myself, as I would go to the different venues, Again, like the whole land, I was looking at the the venue from the, the the wide shot, the full view, and then I was trying to look very carefully and as detailed as I can at the the minutia. And and Doc Ondar's is an absolute treasure trove, not just of merchandise you can buy, but I spent a lot of time in there just looking and trying to zoom in on my phone at the stuff on the walls and the stuff on the raft up in the rafters that aren't just from, you know, maybe a new hope, but you might find, you might find some things in there from um, an extended universe, maybe an upcoming Mandalorian series, maybe another film that's not necessarily star, uh, star Wars related countless countless details and look i found myself because of all these things smiling ear to ear like little lou Mangello in christmas 1977 when he got his millennium <laughs> falcon and his land speed like it was every time i turned another corner i was getting another gift in 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 the form of these little easter eggs that's actually the next one that was on my list too. The the Easter eggs and docks in the marketplace, and or the fact that there's blaster fire on the on the outcropping of the cantina itself to indicate that there were some 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 ne'er do wells previously there that were doing things. But actually, you can find how some of that blaster fire got to be from reading the Galaxy's Edge Marvel comic series too, or looking at Throne Alliances, a book by Timothy Zahn that came out last summer. It's all there, and the fact that Lucasfilm Story Group is working so exclusively um, and painstakingly for you know five years on this to give you these things, and also knowing that it's a living, breathing place anyway. Right now, the timeline for Galaxy's Edge is after the Last Jedi, but they've also made it very clear that as the stories progress, so too will the environment in Batu, and I think that's very, very exciting because you've got. That repeatability, like like a good film, you know, where there's certain lines or key moments or characters that you love, Batu is going to offer that for you in a whole new way. Which is even the fact that we're, I feel like I need to pinch myself because I can't even believe I was at this place because all the I'm hearing you two talk. I can't wait to go back. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> and I think because of we said this at the very beginning because the Easter eggs and these little treasures are from every sort of iteration of the Star Wars universe. Um, so I remember inside, I think it's, it was inside the Droid Depot, there's um, 
most of one of the Imperial, um, what are they called? The Enforcer droids, like K2SO. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm like, oh, like, we're, we're, I'm getting stuff from, and well, look, continuing on from last week, my love affair with Alan Tudyk continues <laughs> yet again. But I, I loved that there was something that I was able to catch from all of the different series of films. And I think even guys like you, Dan, who are, are much more deeper entrenched in the Star Wars universes in the big screen and the small screen and and in the written word, you know, with the comics and stuff, we'll find even more as you travel throughout. Even on the Falcon, like if when you're in the queue for the Falcon and you're by the Jajarik table, there's some really cool stuff like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to see with the blast shield down, but I'm telling you, you will. <laughs> um, there's a lot of neat stuff everywhere in everywhere you turn there are details everywhere you turn and i I think that that speaks to um the again the immersion of the the story that they have put together for the the true disney star wars geek that knows every single piece but it's still again appealing to people who maybe don't know a lot about the star wars universe so i think that Putting that all together has just been fabulous. So, Dan, I think we are we're coming full circle back to you. Yeah, the I mean, I don't know how many more you have left because I definitely want to talk about building a lightsaber. Then have at it, man, because I know how important that was to you. <laughs> so before I got to bed, too, there were the, the main things I wanted to experience. I just wanted to see and be inside the Falcon. I didn't even care about riding the attraction. I mean, I wanted to ride it, of course. I just wanted to see and experience the Millennium Falcon. I wanted to just walk around and just kind of get the the atmosphere of Batu, but then I wanted to build a lightsaber. Now, longtime listeners of Coffee with Kenobi know how many lightsabers I have. <laughs> I've got a number of the master replica ones. I've got the hilts of Anakin Skywalker, Palpatine, and Yoda. I turn on and off that you used to get the sharper image of all things, um, and then you've got uh, the miniatures. I'll show you one now. Uh, it's got the, um, it's got the, it, this is Luke Skywalker's, but it's like a smaller version. So I've got a lot of lightsabers. I don't know that I necessarily needed a ton of lightsabers or anything like that. Uh, so <laughs> you then you never have um, too many lightsabers. Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So then I go in there and when I go in there, I see, first of all, the legacy lightsabers you can get at Doc Ondar's are incredible, uh, pieces of merchandising and you know they're molded right from the actual ones that were used on set as well as the props so they're great and you can buy two different kinds of blades to attach them so you can actually have battles or or, or ignite them and have fun with them in that fashion the cases that you get uh, that they give you for that are awesome as well so they're all great things right but so you think that would be enough but you can go in and you can buy their four different styles to choose from. And when you do that, uh, you basically decide, uh, you know, what do I, what do I stand for here? What, what is it that I'm going to try to do? Do I want to be peace and justice? Do I want to, do I care more about the nature side of things? Do I want, do I care about defense or am I a Sith Lord? Like, like Lou, like Lou, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I know that we'll get into. <laughs> So I, I decided I went in there just to look at it. And the cool thing about this place is that 
it's it's nondescript like the the door itself to go in to build your lightsaber like if you didn't know where to look you wouldn't know that it was there so it does give you kind of that in-story feel of you know the of course the first order doesn't want you to build a lightsaber they don't want any jedi around because they want kylo ren to be able to do his thing and be the the most dangerous presence there so you go in though and you pick your lightsaber that you want to build and you go inside and you become part of this incredible story it's like a 20 25 minute experience it's probably a little bit longer for the group i was in because i couldn't figure out how to screw the thing together um <laughs> so they had to go over and help me <laughs> which is fine i was just like wow uh, and I won't, I won't ruin big key things, but uh, when they're talking about the different kyber crystals, there's different. The whole room takes on this different color, and the music corresponds to the characters are talking about. And there's this this wonderful reveal of of the fact that your lights are actually will ignite and it will work for you. Uh, it just reminds you if you've ever seen episodes of Rebels or Clone Wars where people uh, pick their own kyber crystals, and what goes into that, it's magical. And then when it's done. And you realize your lightsaber is going to turn on. You're not just constructing a hilt, but you've got the actual blade there itself. That part got me more choked up than anything, even seeing the Falcon. And I think it's just because I thought, okay, I know this isn't real, but if this was a possibility, this is exactly how it would feel. And I was just so overwhelmed. And I thought, I've got to bring my son to this because I can't, when he sees it, oh, I'm going to cry even worse when I see that. It's, it is just the most magical thing. If there was only one thing I could do at Galaxy's Edge, for whatever reason, I had to pick. I would pick this in a heartbeat, and I wouldn't even feel the least bit like I missed out on anything else because it's just an incredible, true experience. The best way to describe it, uh, you know, the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique for for little girls, or when you go into Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, little. I know my son when he was four, he was Captain Jake, and he thought that was the coolest thing ever. They make it so great. This is like that for people who want to have a lightsaber, and it's. It's even better than I'm describing it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <ladies laughs> first. All right. Is, is the person that never owned a collapsible lightsaber and never was a collectible in all of the collector in all of the Star Wars universe? When I heard that there was a $200 lightsaber, I kind of went, wow, who needs a $200 lightsaber? And and after we were done with the experience, I can't imagine not having a $200 lifesaver lightsaber. It was, it was the experience you're paying for the experience in the show. And it is so amazing um, what you go through, but the selection process. And when you, it just, even when you get up to the place, it's not, it's not marked. It doesn't say get your $200 light, lightsaber here. It's, they will talk to you about their metal scrapping and it it is really a show from the moment that you walk up and you hand over your credit card for credits, which credits for them, not for you. (laughs) But it was such a neat experience to select and choose and design um, your own lightsaber. And I am really thrilled that we did it i was really happy that lou put together the sith one i was thrilled (laughs) as we left i mean the moment that we all got our lightsabers and they were they were charged up and we realized that they were on we all immediately went to battle with each other because it was that that fun um, and then it wasn't until I was walking out of the park later on that I realized, oh, how am I going to get these home? Which is a whole nother story. But 
I'm with you. Uh, if there was any experience of, you know, the, the droids are great and I'm sure sometime I'll, I will do that, but I'm really glad that I went through that, that show, that experience. So I'm going to show the experience where I got to personally design my own and be part of that, which was worth the 200 credits. You know, like the films themselves, oftentimes the Sith Lord is hiding in plain sight, Becky Mankin. You are going to make me address this. Red looks good on let's, you. Let's Red be clear. Good on you. Let's Just be clear. Saying. You guys are going to do, Let's. this is the honest story. You guys both wanted to do the Savvy Workshop experience. I was actually planning on sitting it out. And Becky's like, no, you've got to do it. You need you to go to do and it. do this. And she like, force choked no, you. wow she's like you have to do and i said no i I wanted to wait just for you know my own reasons i thought about maybe doing it with my son for the first time i said no she's like mongello and then she gave me like that the jedi like mind trick jedi mind tricks don't work on me but they worked on me because she's like you've got to do it and the reason why you wanted me to do it so bad was you went from being the person who didn't think she needed a $200 lightsaber to, yeah. I need two $200 <laughs> lightsabers. Mangello, you're want, building a light. Don't, don't, I didn't want said, you to feel left out. No, I wanted you said, to be part I of the I need experience. to bring home two lightsabers. So you, and, and you're, my, your words <laughs> you were, were shaking your finger. Your words oh were, gosh. I'm not standing on that line twice. You're building a lightsaber. Again, I would never say online. That's where in you're, line, you're online, in your story. Whatever. I would never say online. So we did it. And look, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for being able to do it. But it was your lightsaber. So I built, I you were standing next to me. Um, and I said, you tell me, you know, how you want it to be built and what color and and look and 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 that's part of and again i'm not going to spoil anything but Mm. part of and and you're right while the lightsaber itself is very it has heft and weight to it again it feels as though it came off the screen you are paying for the process the story and part of the reason why i would not necessarily share anything is it is a very personal Mm-hmm. experience for you mm-hmm. you pick one of four different hilt themes at the very beginning there's peace and justice power and control elemental nature and protection or defense there are different materials for each of those themes that either came from scraps of jedi temples or warriors from the dark side or things from the more natural elements so you pick something that feels again it's in the feels you pick something that feels right for you. Later on, you will pick the color kyber crystal, right? It's red, blue, uh, green, and purple. You're going to pick the color that feels right for you. And the reveal is, I mean, the air came out of the room. There's this, oh man, like you're kidding me. Like, there is a climax to the experience when you get your saber and then, you know, you 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 ignite the saber in your hand like it's crazy, man. Like I see why you cried, man. I would have if I could have, you know, I would have gotten off my step stool and run over and given you a hug. I absolutely <laughs> would have. It's two hundred dollars and it's worth every cent. And yes, you get a carrying case and, and things like that. You can Beyond the confine of Savi's workshop, you can continue to customize 
your saber with stuff you can get at Doc Ondar's. Like I know people are like, oh, I'm going over to get a different color kyber crystal because I want my saber to be yellow. I want to get, you know, this other thing for it. Um, you know, I, I love it. Like I want to go again because I want to take my son. Like I need yes. to just, I want to just watch, like you said, Dan, like I want to, I do like, I want to, I want to watch this through my son. Don't laugh at me. I, I do. I want to watch my son's eyes yeah. and expression and the smile that I know is going to come over his face. Um, so. Yeah. I, when my, when I showed it to my son, to my little boy, Mason, he like, he was so, he was so excited about it. And I just thought, Oh buddy, you have no idea how you're going to feel when you do this. Cause he's going to, it's going to feel real to him. I mean, it, it felt real to me and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a grown man who who knows, knows, you know, what reality is. And well, I guess in theory, um, and it's just, uh, there are just no, it's so funny that like we're all people who use our words um, for, for our income to feed our families. And we can't think of enough words and enough superlatives to describe how wonderful not only this workshop is, this experience, but just everything about that too. And I, I've been wondering, like, for, for the two of you being such, you know, theme park and, and Disney veterans and aficionados, don't you feel like Disney is just suddenly taking themselves to another level with Galaxy's Edge? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, that's what I was alluding to before. I, you know, I thought Pandora was and remains spectacular. And, yes. and I cried on the back of the Banshee, not because I was riding on the back of a Banshee and living at my avatar imagination, but b- because of... of the emotional element of of having this living, breathing thing below me, the sensation of flight, it's on a whole different level here. And it really is. Or you go back to Tokyo Disney Sea, Lou, where you and I kind of walked away from that saying, this is one of the most detailed, immersive um, land or theme park that does forward. And this would say just leaps over that leaps yeah. and bounds and in cars land when we walked into cars land and you felt like you walked into the movie you absolutely did when you have a little kid who looks up to mom and dad and says you know i i'm in the movie it's it was really incredible but this takes it to a whole new level all right so as we're starting to reach the end of our top 77 list see what i did there sorry mm-hmm. um what what is what is next or last on your list miss Mikan? well i have i'm gonna do a really quick one and then i'll do the real one the quick one is <laughs> i can't stop um obsessing over the whole blue milk green milk slash <laughs> beverly of batu um thing <laughs> i i can't help it i i loved 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 blue milk um which isn't milk which is more of a slushy with coconut. And again, add some coconut rum and it would be fantastic. But it's still good. It's still good as is. The green, I think every single one of us, the moment we kind of took a sip of that, we wanted to find the nearest trash compactor wherever it happened to be. Um, there are people who have said that they enjoy the green milk and good for them. Um, there's others that I've seen have gotten it in a swirl where both of them are swirled together. And I just think that that would be the worst thing known to man um blue milk although i'm blue team i'm definitely blue team there and green is 
that to Beverly. So I wanted to throw that out there. It's definitely My, an acquired. I think the green milk is definitely an acquired. Look, you know, yes. I say this all the time. I want to taste it. Stitch's Great Escape was somebody's favorite attraction. Somebody's going to go, oh my mm-hmm. God, this green milk is phenomenal. It, it's not necessarily, it, it's, it, I was not a huge fan. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not butterbeer. I mean, you know, they don't have to, they're mutually exclusive concepts, but you know, it's just not. Now, see, with the green one, if you threw some Midori in there, that might right, actually please help move it out a little bit. All right. There you go. Anyway, the, the last one that I want to throw out there is is almost like a big kudo to, um, and I, I've mentioned this uh, the last time we talked about this too, but I was incredibly impressed with Disney, not only for cast Imagineers and everybody who put this land together, but opening day. This land had the potential of being pure chaos um, with all of the the hearsay about the 250,000 people were going to show up at the gates and everyone was going to rush in and no one was going to be able to breathe and it would be a, a big sardine can and it would be the most unhappy place on earth. And that was what was being touted in the press and some reports and online that it would be, you know, stay away, it'd be the worst day ever. When in fact, um, huge kudos to the Disneyland team and the park ops team and the people who sat and probably for hours and hours and hours and days and days and days came together with this plan to make it one of the smoothest park operations openings I have ever seen in the 20 years that I've been working closely with Disney. Um, everything that the lineup in the morning in the Esplanade was, uh, was, crowded because the gates weren't open but once they were open it was so amazing there were walls and walls of of cast member leading people and telling them if you have your reservation go here if you don't go there um the merchandise was spread over three different locations so there never really felt like there was much of a lineup except for at launch bay where there were a couple of special uh, items that people were all uh lining up for and several people thought that that was the only place to get merchandise um, and then the reservation system, I had my doubts. It worked out brilliantly. People actually left when they were supposed to leave the land. There was one hour that was, that was, uh, two groups would overlap. And then after that, there were three hours or two hours for people to just to be in one group there. They orderly walked over, they orderly let people in and it was never overcrowded. Um, I, I just am in awe of the people who took on this behemoth and turned it into something that was a very pleasant experience for me on opening day and the days following. And if you had nothing to do with star Wars and you didn't know that it was going to happen and you had, you were living under a rock, you could go and enjoy Disneyland for a day with basically 10 minute waits for almost everything because people had been scared about it. But I just want to um, just give the huge kudos and the big hats off to the, the people who created this plan because it, in my mind, it was as close to flawless as it could have been. Um, the reservation system is due to expire on June 23rd. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen after that. And obviously we're kind of up in the air about what they're going to do over at Walt Disney World, which a lot of people are saying, why don't they do it there? And you just physically can't because there are way too many hotel rooms there and, and it wouldn't work as smoothly. 
Um, but for those who aren't aware, if you're still living under a rock on August 29th, 31st, they're doing the 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. opening and then extra, extra magic hours from the same hours from September 1st to November 2nd. And, uh, you know, I do have my doubts again about Walt Disney World, but I'm sure if they've done as great of a job as they did at Disneyland, they've learned some lessons from over there. I have a feeling that it's going to be just as well done. I think that the magic bands too are going to completely change all the interactivity in the, in the app itself, as far as how it's going to affect and follow you when you go around. I I just have a feeling it's going to be more, a little Hmm. more connected. Lou, what do you think? I'm going to refrain from comment or speculating. (laughs) Come on, Lou, it's just us. We won't tell anybody. But, you know, appropriately enough, and and this actually is is an ideal segue into what I was saving for last and without a doubt is most important, and it very much ties back to the first thing that I talked about. And it's not necessarily about... The reservation system, the day one, you're right, the execution of what was such a a monumental and probably very, very, very scary plan. I've heard nothing in terms of negative feedback online and from others like you who were there. However, uh, for me, the thing that I love most about Galaxy's Edge is the people. And what I mean by that is You can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make the dream a reality. And I have to take this opportunity and forum to thank and applaud and show my gratitude and respect for every single person on the Imagineering custodial uh, reservation system, frontline cast members, backline cast members, engineering staff, construction, like the the amount of people that came together to put this together. I mean, forget the 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 engineering and the logistics and just the the uh, the design of it all, but there are so many moving parts to make this happen and the Imagineers and the storytellers and of which every single person in on stage and backstage helped to craft this story that we now have the ability to create and live out uh, ourselves um, deserves. And, and I want to be clear, like my, uh, my appreciation is so high because as I look at this land and I looked around and I was nine years old again and I thought of my dad and I cried and I laughed and all those other things, it happened because of the people that Mm -hmm. Disney and Lucasfilm were able to pull together and execute on exactly as they said that they would. And in the way that Disney can only do, our expectations were so very high and were once again exceeded. And that is the hallmark of this place. And they did it in a way that we all talked about. You know, when I saw the Falcon, when Dan built the saber, when Becky downed her seventh drink, like the emotional responses that we had, the tears and the laughter and the joy. And I saw people like hugging each other like it, it would not have happened without those people. And I want to make one very quick point 
about our list. And there were clearly many things that were overlapped, although I think our li- list was beyond 10. <laughs> Note, <laughs> not one of us talked about the Smuggler's Run attraction. Yeah. Nor yeah. did we talk about what show is this? Nobody, we didn't, literally did not talk about food. Food. <gasps> you didn't talk about food. I didn't. How did that happen? Well, because I didn't get to sample everything, to be clear, first. <laughs> because true. It, we only Only for the preview, what we yep, did sample, we loved, and it was very cool and, yeah. and very well-themed. There is no chicken. There's a, like, everything is it part weird. of the story. But. The ribs are great. Oh, yeah. The food was so good. The food was so good. Yep, I want to go back just yep. to eat. Tip yep. I did yep, have the tip yep. yep. Bless you. Was it tip yip? Okay. But, <laughs> it was. Yip, but tip. it is. I'm not like, sure what you buy your tea. We were so and are so taken with the story and the storytelling when we said at the beginning that there's not a single attraction that is open. There are there are all of these little things are attractions, and there's so much. I mean, look, we've been talking for a, a long time. There's so much that we didn't get to cover. Right. So many of the yeah, details, sure. like even the restrooms are like Instagram worthy. <laughs> like there is literally so much. That is really weird. They literally you're, are. you're holding your phone in the restroom going, I got to take a picture of this. I apologize. The other uh, people didn't seem to mind. No. I, and <laughs> I mean, look, you know, we in mentioning attractions, we're not mentioning attractions. You know, everyone that we talked to there you know, I, I was able to interview some Imagineers and some some principals. They talked about the land and all the things that we mentioned and and the the being able to fly the Falcon and what you do affecting your story and your experience and the credits and how you walk out and everything about Smuggler's Run individually. But they all sort of said without actually coming out and saying it is, this is great and we love this and we're really proud of this, but just wait. Until Rise of the Resistance opens. Yeah. Like time, and you don't normally hear Disney talk about things that are coming when uh, the day that a land is opening. It makes me even more excited and anticipate what is to come in the fall. Like the baby, if, if it's really baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. I can't imagine no. what this attraction is going to be like. The trackless system sounds like it's going to be mind blowing, and yeah, they're all excited about what they've the, the baby they've just birthed. But looking forward and looking ahead, it's not taking anything away from what is currently there. It's right. going to be a huge enhancement to the rest of the experience, and I'm so looking forward to that. Much I don't like think I did okay. Not to say I don't think people will feel cheated either. That rise of the resistance isn't open yet. I, no. I feel like there's so much to see and do. And experience in the Falcon, you know, Smuggler's Run is awesome too. There's just so much there that you're going to enjoy. And yes, you'll want to go back and see Rise of Resistance. I mean, we're all, all three of us are going to do it for sure. But there's just so much there and it gives you more, much more space. I mean, when we first walked in for the opening night, Lou and I were like, what kind of walking around trying to see where the world would be a good place to sit and eat. And as we were walking, there were tons and tons of tables and places to sit then we turn around, they were all taken right away because <laughs> everyone was so excited and they had the same idea that we did. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of space. There's plenty of quiet areas for you to sit with your kids in the shade. Uh, you're, you're going to feel like you're in a good, comfortable, safe place. And it's so massive and there's so much to see and do and experience. 
it's you know like we keep saying we're a broken record it's just a feast for all of your senses and you're gonna just love it I, I did don't however i did enjoy where lou finally did choose for us to sit and eat it was the door that the cast members were coming out with all the trays of food and he was attacking them as they were coming out I think to make sure that we had a bit of a harsh word i wanted to be sure that you were properly fed so positioning myself right by where the entrance to the you know, kitchen staging area was. A we didn't miss a thing. Dissonance. It was it was brilliant on your part. We didn't miss Thank a thing, and I, I thought you were gonna, I think you were gonna run over a couple of those girls for for more. No, than truly, balls. his tackling form is excellent. I know oh, it really like, was. The, was. The scouts was were there too. Yeah, I was very for, for a little guy. He could really bob and weave and grab that stuff and run. I was very polite, <laughs> and oh, by the yes, way, you were very he welcome was. as yeah. I went over to get your your incredibly well themed Coke bottles. You know, yes, that you threw you, out the in the incredible that yeah. you did not throw out in the incredibly well themed trash cans. Um through the very no, first because of all, you bring them home. <laughs> and yes, you just did. as, as a, a one other quick aside, unlike most other lands that are in existence or even being built, did you notice how wide the pathways were? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're even huge. when they were crowded, they were not crowded because they were mm-hmm. so wide. And again, mm-hmm. it's look, if you haven't been yet nothing first of all I, I i ask you as much as tempting as it is to try not to watch too much mm-hmm. you I need agree. to see it with your own eyes look and something else we didn't talk about you can watch a video of hondo onaka in the queue oh, for yeah. smugglers run when you get there and you watch that figure move you're going to like many people like you're going to that's not an animatronic that's a real guy in co- it looks like it's a dude up in a costume because as close as he is, the level of detail and articulation and smooth movement is unlike anything we've ever seen. We And, and look, that's the beauty of Galaxy's Edge is the all the things that we're talking about. We're talking about immersion and, and interactivity. It, it runs the spectrum from the most basic no-tech to incredibly high-tech advancements in technology, in the attractions, in the queues, in the animatronics, in the apps. It is a, you know, it is probably, without a doubt, the most technologically advanced, and I think they, the imaginers described it as such, those technologically advanced land, but the tech doesn't sort of hit you in the face, if that, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It is blended so seamlessly. And by the way, speaking as a as a as a pretty big Star Wars fan, and that's probably putting mild mildly, <laughs> this I my you know Star Wars fans are very discerning. We're very vocal bunch. We're very we have very strong opinions. Uh, we're very passionate about this this product, about this world, about the merchandise, about the the canonical Star Wars itself. And my expectations were at a very very high level. Uh, and I tried to temper them. I tried to curb them, if you will, and it blew him away, and I'm not someone who gives into hyperbole. I think when I think it's important as a, as someone who's going to be critical to be a critical thinker and be intellectually honest, because when you say no, it makes your yes mean more. Mm-hmm. All that being said, I can legitimately tell you this place is stunning and beautiful. As a Star Wars fan, if you love Star Wars, you're going to have talk about have all the feels like you mentioned. It's unbelievable how wonderful it is. You will feel. You mentioned this at the top of the show, you, Lou. 
uh, Chewy, we're home. You're going to feel like you're home. I tried to explain to my wife. She's like, what do you mean? I said, no, it's just like when you're there, you're just like you're just living and walking and breathing in this place you've just loved and dreamed about and read about and talked about and written about and and made funny little Snapchats about and whatever. Like you're there and you just feel it just feels so comfortable and familiar and wonderful and wondrous. And it's it's really is Star Wars heaven. I mean, it, I mean, and even more so than celebrations or Star Wars weekends or galactic nights or star tours or anything like that. It just takes all and all those things are still wonderful and they will continue to be wonderful to me. This is just like everything I ever dreamed, everything I ever wanted, everything I didn't think I know that I wanted. It's all here. And the fact that you can get it on both coasts, you know, come the end of August, we're we're in an incredible, we're living in an incredible time period, that's for sure. I agree. And you know, uh they have all talked about how this land and and is going to grow and evolve, not necessarily in in, in size and footprint, but um, it is a is it a canvas that is going to be able to be modified and updated and expanded on as the Star Wars universe continues to expand. Look, this is certainly a place that you really do have to see to believe. And coincidentally enough, Ma- Becky Mankin and the entire team over at Mouse Fan Travel can help you get whether you're going to Batu for the first time or. You know, you want to go and visit, and you're going to want to visit um, the Black Spire Outpost on either or both coasts. Um, she and her team can help you. If you are a Star Wars fan, nerd, newbie, or just want to be one, you've got to go and check out all the good stuff over at coffeewithkenobi.com. Dan, where else can they find you? Yes, thank you. Well, yeah, definitely coffeewithkenobi.com is our weekly podcast. We also have a Patreon page. We have an exclusive show called CWK Pour Over. I also write for a little website called StarWars.com, where we get to talk about a lot of great Star Wars stuff, of course, since it's the official Star Wars site. And I also do some freelance work for IGN as well. Becky Mankin, anything else you'd like to add? I'm just really, really thrilled about a couple of things. First of all, that you did get to embrace your inner Sith. Um, at least for a moment. I was that picture. Forced, I was, that picture. Wait, wait. That I picture was forced, is part, stunning. Unintended. I can tell picture, everybody the real thing that happened. I was there. That picture was stunning. The the look in your eye was. Oh, I, I think am I'm gonna make a, an actor. I was. Yes, you are. I'm gonna make a poster <laughs> of that. I'm gonna sell them online. It's gonna be awesome. The other thing I can't wait for, and I, I think you guys will probably agree with me, when that hotel opens up. Oh boy. Oh boy! <laughs> I, that's gonna be—it's uh, gonna raise the bar just, even more. I will tell you, after thinking, after seeing the land, and after seeing all the engagement and all the stuff that the immersiveness and the the crazy pull that you have into the story—imagine what that's gonna do. I I can't wait for that. So, yeah, till the spires there, Lou. We've got uh, we got a little bit of planning. Yeah, and listen, if you have been to Galaxy's Edge, I would love to hear from you, who's been sitting around the Dejarik table with us. Tell us about your experiences in Galaxy's Edge, or if you haven't been yet, what are you most looking forward to doing or seeing? experiencing or yes even tasting the best way to do that is to go to the ww radio box people group on facebook 
You can just go to www.radio.com slash community, share it there. Better yet, if you've been there or if you are there, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Share your Star Wars story, your memories as a kid or an adult, what you're looking forward to doing, or if you're in the land, let us know uh, what you think and more importantly, what you feel as well. Uh, Becky and Dan, thank you guys so very much It truly is a place that is best enjoyed when you get to um, uh, to share it with friends. So uh, till the spire, good journey. May the spires keep you. And of course, may the Schwartz be with you. (laughs) Good journey, my friend. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. This is awesome as always. Galaxy's Edge, the flamethrower. Galaxy's (laughs) Edge, the lunchbox. Embrace your inner self. The kids are going to love them. That's a Spaceballs reference, Becky. Yeah. Somebody get Becky a VCR, please. Fuzzy Tauntaun, please. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, hear, or yes, even taste. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I asked you where in Walt Disney World you could find... Castaway Creek. Now, if you weren't sure of the answer right off the bat, you might not have visited what I consider to be Walt Disney World's fifth and sixth theme parks. It's Blizzard Beach and Typhoon Lagoon, the huge water slash theme parks in Walt Disney World. And Castaway Creek can actually be found at Typhoon Lagoon because it is one of my favorite elements of the park. It is that 2,000-foot-long lazy river that encircles the entire park. It has all different landings that you can get in and get out of. If you want to get out, grab a snack or a nap or both. Castaway Creek is one of my favorite parts of Typhoon Lagoon, which makes me think we need to have another meet of the month in Walt Disney World at Typhoon Lagoon probably this summer. Stay tuned, but I digress. Anyway, that was last week's question. I took all of the correct entries, randomly selected one. And again, last week you were playing for all of my digital products, which is my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, as well as all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, both of which, by by the way, are still available in Amazon and on iTunes. A WW Radio vinyl sticker, a WW Radio pop socket, and a WW Radio t-shirt. So, last week's winner, randomly selected, is Kelly O'Neill. So, Kelly, I have your address because you use the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, this week, it's not a what, but a who that I want you to identify. Because I want you to tell me who is your friendly controller and a heck of a paleontologist if he or she does say so him or herself. That's it. Who's your friendly controller and one heck of a paleontologist if he does or she does say so herself? 
You have until Sunday, June 16th at 11.59 p.m. to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. And again, I'm going to send you all the digital products, the vinyl sticker and the pop socket not available in stores and a WW Radio t-shirt. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy day and busy week to tune in. I appreciate you listening to the show, but also want you to be part of the conversation and more importantly, the community by joining our Box People group over on Facebook. You can find out more, introduce yourself, and talk about this week's show or anything in the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars universe by visiting www.radio.com community. Speaking of community, I also want to thank some of the members of the WW Radio Nation family and just tell you how much I appreciate you and your love and your support and your friendship and your help for the show. And I also love being able to give back to you and thank you each and every month. I want to thank some of the new members who joined the hundreds of you who are part of the WW Radio Nation family, including some new and longtime members like Kevin Helsinki, Jamie Tursik, Josh Schmitz, Katie Hayes. Corinne Twilliger and Mindy Grolick, I appreciate you so very much. And if you want to find out how you can not only help the show, and believe me, it goes a long way towards being able to create and produce and share content with you, but you also get exclusive rewards every month, including brand new scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group, custom magic band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, backpacks and monthly surprise care packages from Walt Disney World. You also have access to exclusive live video group calls and early access to special events. To find out more, you can visit wdwradio.com slash support. Also, don't forget that a portion of your contribution does go to our Dream Team project to directly benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Again, it's completely optional, but a great way for you to help the show and show your support Find out more by visiting www.radio.com slash support. And speaking of connecting with you, I don't want you to just be a passive listener to the show. I'd love for you to be involved in the in the Box People community. Plus, you can also connect and talk with me directly on social. I am at Lou Mangello on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. Please be sure and like the WW Radio page on Facebook at facebook.com slash, you guessed it, WW Radio. And I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a question you have an answer on the show, you can email me, lou at wwradio.com, or call the voicemail be heard on the air, 407-900-9391. It's 407-900-WDW1. Whether you are commenting on this week's show, have a question you want me to answer, or just a hello from the parks, it's a great way for you to be on the air as well. And of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. It's why I continue for now 11 years to do Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World. Our next Meet of the Month is going to be Saturday, June 23rd at 11.30 a.m. We're going to be at Katsura Grill, my one of, if probably still my favorite, counter service location anywhere in Walt Disney World. Katsura Grill is at the Japan Pavilion in World Showcase. will be at the lower level seating area, 11.30 a.m. Saturday, Jan- June 23rd. Don't rush it, Lou. Saturday, June 23rd. To find out more to RSVP, whether you come alone, bring the entire family, it's completely free, a 1,001% kid-friendly. 
go to our events page at www.radio.com slash events. Just let me know that you're coming, and there you'll find out about other upcoming events, including our trip to Japan, our cruise to out of New Orleans in February, meetups at D23 Expo, and... I almost spilled the beans on something I haven't announced yet. That's where you're going to find out first. Again, www.radio.com slash events. There you'll also find out about other events and meetups that I do on the road as I travel to speak. And speaking of speaking, if I can come to speak to your event, your conference, your school, or your business, visit lumangelo.com. There you'll find a list of different topics that I can talk about and craft specifically to you and your business You can also find out ways that I can help you turn what you love into what you do, whether it's one-on-one coaching, small group mentoring via our weekly mastermind group. We have a group going on now Tuesday nights with just two spots left or my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World September 28th and 29th with an optional mastermind day on Monday. I have extended the super early bird pricing now. You can save literally hundreds off your ticket. Again, to find out more about any of these things, just go and visit lumangelo.com. Thanks as always to Becky Mankin. Again, she is my official and recommended travel provider. It's who I love and who I recommend because it's who I use. More importantly, it's who I trust. Learn more and get your free new obligation quote at mousefantravel.com and then go to celebrationspress.com to subscribe and order back issues to Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friend, and you, I promise you, are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show to please help spread the word, let others know about it, tweet out that you're listening, share a link to this or your favorite episode over on Facebook or in your Facebook favorite Facebook page or group, and if you can, take just not even 30 seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. It's incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Ambulance211 who says, I'm moving to Disney. And Lou's episode on moving to Disney was the catalyst that made my final decision. We're moving to Disney in October. Thank you, Lou, and friends for the push we needed to make the jump. That's from Sean. Sean, congratulations. Thank you. I cannot wait till we are neighbors and get to meet and hopefully eat with each other in the parks. Stern Sam says, amazing. It's the podcast for every Disney fan. There are so many times during the show they get all the chest feels and goosebumps because of how they bring the magic through their discussions. Keep shining bright and spreading the positivity. Thank you, Sam. That wasn't very stern at all. I got nervous for a second. Paymarie 18 says, love, love, love in all capital letters. It gives me inspiration not only to return to the Disney parks, but to believe in myself and achieve the impossible best podcast ever. And that's from Peyton Albrecht. Peyton, thank you. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. And, and I, I, it gives me all the feels to have a little bit of a positive impact on you. And C Holster 8 or Cholster 8 says Disneylicious. <laughs> this is hands down my favorite. I love that word, Disneylicious. Uh, that's hands down my favorite, not just Disney favorite, but favorite podcast out there. Your knowledge and presentation of Disney allows me to feel that I can enjoy it wherever I am in the world. Living in Japan, oh, how cool we just bonded, uh, can be hard away from friends and family, but you truly are a friend I can turn to whenever I need. Keep the awesomeness coming and hope to meet and share a snack, popcorn, and or meal. Boathouse, she says, he says, with you one day. Uh, now, Cholster's 8, I'm going to call you Disney's delicious, Disney delicious, and everybody else, thank you so very much for the kind words and the reviews. And listen, I am always down for sharing a handshake 
or a hug and or a meal in Walt Disney World or maybe when we come to Japan this fall. To find out more how to leave a review, you can just go to www.radio.com slash iTunes or just search for WW Radio in iTunes. And again, thank you so, so very much. I, I cannot find the way and words to let you know how much you mean to me. You give me the gift, not of your time and your attention, but the ability to uh, take and share my passion for Disney and Marvel and Star Wars and, and share it with you. And that's why if there's ever some way that I can help you do what you love and turn what you love into what you do, please, please let me know. And, you know, speaking of Japan and heroes, it makes me think about one of my favorite quotes, especially inspired by some of the things that I just read. And I don't read these beforehand. I just sort of read them as I am recording. It reminds me of a quote from Tadashi Hamada in one of my favorite movies, Big Hero 6, who says, I'm not I'm not going to give up on you. And more importantly, he says, you don't understand this yet, but people need you. And whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever it is that you are doing, always remember that somebody, probably more than one person, needs you. So get out there. Keep being awesome. You know what? Stay positive. I'm telling you, it has a ripple effect on everything else that you do. And I hope that this truly is your best week ever. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. See ya. Hey, Lou, it's Skipper Freddie Martin out in California. Uh, just listening to you and Timmy discuss the best uh, possible attractions that could be made from uh, Disney films. A um, couple things popped into my mind while you were talking about it. Um, you talked about the black hole. And it's interesting, when I was a kid and uh, hanging out in the chicken, the chicken exit uh, for Space Mountain, I remember very clearly black hole posters and um, little standees through the queue to Space Mountain, which led me to believe at the time, because I think they came out of Disneyland 77 around the same time as Black Hole, that Black Hole was the theme for Space Mountain. Still stuck in my head even to these days. Also, I've heard people in the park while we're uh, uh, going around the park saying, hey, what attractions could we do that would be, you know, based off of a film? And I've heard people say, well, what about Fantasia? Fantasia would make a, a great film. And it cracks me up because Disneyland, at least, is full of attractions. We got, we now have Disney's full or Mickey's full heart magic, which naturally, you know, fits as a Fantasia type attraction, but also Fantasmic, right? That's essentially um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And then uh, also makes me remember that the train at Disneyland, scene for scene, the Rite of Spring in Fantasia. Okay, here's the one that I would love to see, or <laughs> actually drew all the pictures for this a long, 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 long time ago. I imagined that around the bayou in New Orleans Square or around Tom Sawyer's Island, that there could be a really fun attraction based on the rescuers. You get into a little boat that's shaped like a leaf, and it's pushed by Haven Rood, the little uh, uh, dragonfly, uh, fly in front, dragon behind. And uh, I thought that would be so cool to see all the little muskrats and um, the big crocodiles or alligators uh, in the bayou. I think that would be cool, whether it's at Disneyland 
or Walt Disney World and Magic Kingdom. Um, <laughs> strangely enough, it is obscure, but uh, Rescuers would have been a fun one for that. Hey, love the show. Thanks, you guys. Really appreciate uh, the way you make my commute fun. Ciao. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flowertown, PA. I am up bright and early this morning, but because of so many um, car rides that I have to take, I have been listening to your podcast a lot, and I finally, this morning, made it to the Julie Andrews interview. So, I'm super excited. I haven't, I've listened to a little bit of it, um, but I'm going to go back and now and listen to the rest of it. I know it was a highlight in your career, and I'm super excited. Uh, to listen to it so far, it sounds pretty awesome, but I will keep you posted. I'll check in with you after I'm done listening to it, which will probably be um, in an hour. So I hope everybody's having a great Friday. TGIF, make somebody smile today. I'll talk to you all soon. Take care. Bye. Hi, this is the Fulton family, and we're longtime listeners of WDW Radio, and we are calling from the Riverbell Terrace at Disneyland, celebrating our son's 16th birthday. We came down to California for a vacation, not planning to come to Disneyland, but lo and behold, Disneyland Hotel had a room available and reservation for Galaxy Z. So we're here celebrating Anders' 16th birthday and enjoying the emptiness of the park and really excited to go to our 5 o'clock reservation in Batu. Happy birthday, Anders. Bye, son. Hey, Lou, this is Justin from Woodridge, Illinois. I just wanted to say great episode uh, with the top ten Disney movies that should be made into attractions. I wholeheartedly agree about uh, Big Hero 6. I think that movie is criminally underrated. Uh, just keep up the great work. Uh, you're, you and uh, Tamir are a big inspiration to everyone that listens, and you just have you. Hello, Lou Mangiello, Dave Coleman from Apple Valley, California. Actually, we've met at a meet-and-greet in Cars Land a couple of years ago, but I spent most of the time talking to Becky because you were stuffing your face with chili cone carne. Yeah. Anyway, long-time caller, first-time listener, and listen to the show where you and Timmy were discussing movies that would make great attractions. And that Timmy, boy, he is uh, a wealth of Disney knowledge. So, I've got a couple to piggyback on his list that maybe he can uh, work with, so if you'll pass them along, that would be great. First of all, there's a Pixar movie. It's uh, it's an aquatic-themed one, and, you know, quite frankly, Disney doesn't have a lot of under-the-sea options, and I think this would be a great part of their world. Uh, it would make their collection complete, if you will. Anyway, it's uh, about a little fish, and he's lost, and he's found... I think his name is Chico. So they could do uh, some sort of attraction on that, maybe have an aquarium theme where you lose Chico and you find him again, or maybe even a submarine ride or something like that. Use those imagination engineer people to dream up something. The next one is kind of a go-with-me-now, if you will. It's a uh, old Disney movie, Three Men of Baby Mountain, I think it was. It was a thrilling thing about the Matterhorn, and I don't think the technology exists today, but when it does, Disney should create a mountain and maybe some sort of thrill ride in that mountain. I don't know. Timmy would probably have some ideas. Lastly, 
Disney's been spending a lot of money lately on intellectual property, and one of them is a uh, sci-fi space deal. And I think it's about time they get some things in the park for that. So there's uh, there's space and wars and droids and vehicles and furry things. You know, the more I listen to that, it doesn't sound like a good idea. So anyway, it was a pleasure talking to you. It's actually a lot like talking to you in person, except without the uh, food sweat. Uh, please say hello to Becky for me and take care, Lou. Hi, Lou. This is Sam from South Jersey, and I was just re-listening to Podcast 544 when you and Becky were talking about movies to watch before going to the parks, and I was really surprised you didn't mention The Happiest Millionaire um, because there's so it harkens so much to Main Street USA as you're walking down Main Street, the era, but also the music that's being piped in. On top of that, though, I feel like the whimsical nature that's involved in that movie and the family nature of it really achieves a lot of Walt's vision for what he wanted the parks to be. He wanted people to have just a magical time and to be together and enjoy it as a family. So I feel like The Happiest Millionaire is like almost like, I, I think everyone should watch that movie, but especially if you're going to the parks, like, virtuosity, that's my byword. Oh, anyway, uh, and in a similar vein, I really agree with watching Meet the Robinsons because, once again, it's a Walt message about moving forward. Uh, so I, I definitely think that's appropriate. And also, pro tip, if you want to watch Song of the South, uh, there's some links to it on YouTube that you can watch it. Anyway, uh, have a great day. I'm sorry I've been talking for a little bit, but I just I love Happiest Millionaire, and I think it would be a great addition to anyone's list before going on their vacation. Have a great day. Hello, Lou Mandelo. It's Darlene Aggie from West Seneca, New York, and I am calling in with a countdown. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and happy Memorial Day. Thank you for all your services from the past and now for us. And I am six days away from my trip to Florida, and Lou is going to be 254 days away from that New Orleans adventure, and then we've got the Japan trip in 138 days. Then, of course, he's now going to be in um, coming up in D23 in August, so that's going to be absolutely amazing, and he's got a few meetups scheduled, so watch the pages for all those meetups. Have a magical, wonderful day. Love and hug. Cantina Band. If you have any requests, shout them out. Play that same song. All right, same song. Here we go. 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 Here